Before I get into this today, I want to thank you guys for braving the weather. Um, my wife Brenda's in with the babies today. And I told her last night, I said, oh, don't worry. 10 degrees and minus that, you won't have any babies. But wow, thank you guys who are younger, who brought the, we have four babies this morning in this weather. Isn't that awesome? And you hear them cry, I thank God that that baby is here. All right, and they can cry all they want to cry. So parents, relax if that is you. There's parents running all over the place. Is that mine? Is that mine? Is that mine? Um, But just so thankful they are here. Again, those of you who weren't here last week, I'll have cataract surgery on Tuesday. Uh, So right now, as these lights are on, I can't see anything because it must bounce off the cataract. I I don't know what happens. Um, But Tuesday morning... I should be a new guy, right, Christine? I should be a new guy. So, as Zach stated, we're going to tackle something tough this morning. And it's something that every single one of us goes through. And that is suffering. And if we're not suffering now, hang on. Because just around the corner, there'll be a time where we are. Because suffering comes into every single one of our lives in one way or another. Pollsters George Gallup and George Barna say the number one question people want to have answered is, if there's a loving God, then why is there so much suffering and pain in this world? And many of us have prayed, God, why? Why did you let this happen. When it comes to your suffering, you fill in the blank. What is it for you? For you, maybe it's a family member that's hurt you. Maybe it's the loss of a job, a rebellious teen, a malignant tumor, an unfaithful spouse. Whatever it is, when you're alone in frustration, you cry out, why God? Why? For many people, the first response to suffering is to blame God. Insurance companies even have a clause when they can't explain it that calls it an act of who? God. Skeptics of Christianity have a couple of angles that they cling to. One is that God is not powerful enough to help. In recent years, one of the biggest challenges to Christianity is what's called open theism. Open theism argues that the reason bad things happen is because God doesn't know enough about the future, therefore he can't prevent bad things from happening. And we're left with then, of course, what we're left with is a God who's not powerful enough to help us, therefore he's certainly not powerful enough to save us. And what comfort is there in that? But we know as believers that God is all-knowing and God is all-powerful. The other view is that God simply doesn't care about me. In other words, if he doesn't help, it means I'm not of much value to him. He doesn't mind if bad things happen to me because he is a God of the masses. But that flies in the face of the fact that he knows the very number of hairs on your head. 
and he cares even if a sparrow falls to the ground. And Jesus would say, how much more valuable are you than that bird, right? When we suffer people, especially non-believers, their first response is to blame God. But is that really fair? A lot of different reasons for suffering that comes. One is simply our sinful choices. Some suffering comes to our own sinful decisions. If you drink like a fish, alcohol probably will damage your liver. If you have the morals of a tomcat, then you can probably expect to get a sexually transmitted disease. It's all common sense. Galatians 6, verses 7 and 8, Paul says, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Some suffering comes simply because of the prince of darkness himself. Satan has limited powers in this world, but this is his domain. There is good and there is evil that comes. Every good and perfect gift we know from Scripture comes down from the Father of heavenly lights. But yet Satan is a lion, and he roams this world seeking to kill, steal, and destroy you and me. Job 2.7, we're told, so Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and afflicted Job with painful sores from his feet to the top of his head. So we know Satan has the power to afflict us. In Luke 13, Jesus refers to the woman crippled that he healed. And he said, Satan had kept her bound for 18 years. She was afflicted. So again, Satan has the power to afflict us physically if he desires to do so. Another reason is simply the natural laws of a fallen world. People ask all the time, if God is a God of love, then why does he love allow earthquakes, floods, tsunamis, all these natural disasters, why does he allow them to happen? Well, it's because all the way back in Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve introduced sin into the world, our world became contaminated, out of kilter. Romans 8, 19 through 22, shares the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to, to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been moaning, as in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. What's that saying? Well, God allows suffering simply because he values a world where freedom exists. We talked about this some last week, where we have free choice. We can choose whether to follow God or not follow God. And with that gift comes potential consequences. Because if we don't handle that gift right, it can mess things up. And that's what's happened. Everything has been thrown out of kilter. When sin entered the picture, 
It all went into chaos. Since Adam sinned, something is broken in this world. But God set it all in motion and allows his laws to continue to go on and run. And we have to trust those. Bible reminds us in Matthew 5, 45, he causes the sun to rise on evil and the good and says rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. So he looked at some explanations as to what might cause suffering, but let's change gears and get a little bit closer and answer that question again. Why would God let this happen? Philip Yancey writes, this is not just an intellectual issue to be debated in sterile academic areas. It's an intensely personal matter that can tie our emotion into knots leaving us with spiritual vertigo, meaning it's very confusing. So what's the verdict? Give me an explanation. Is it God's not powerful enough? Is it really that God doesn't care about me? Neither. I would give you a third option, and I believe it's an honest, reasonable explanation as to why both global and personal suffering happen in this world. And here it is. There is a greater good that comes out of suffering. Say it with me. There is a... Romans 8. There's a verse of Scripture in Romans 8 that probably is very familiar to a lot of people in this room because it's the verse that we cling to when bad things happen. Romans 8, 28 says, read this with me. Is it in there? There it is. Let's read this together. And we know... Again, there's a greater good that comes out of suffering. And if Christianity is really our belief system, if that is where our faith lies in a God who can then we should be able to answer the question, why? Why did God let this happen? Lee Strobel interviewed a Boston College professor named Peter Kreft on the topic of God and suffering. And Kreft shared this. He said, the difference between us and God is greater than the difference between us and a bear. Imagine a bear caught in a trap And the hunter, out of sympathy, chooses to free him. He tries to win the bear's confidence, but he can't do it, so he has to shoot the bear full of tranquilizers. The bear, however, looks at the gun and thinks the hunter is trying to kill him. He doesn't realize that this is being done out of compassion. Then in order to get the bear out of the trap, The hunter has to push the bear farther in the trap to release the springs and set him free. If the bear were semi-conscious at this point, he would even more look at the hunter and say, man, this guy is trying to kill me. He's my enemy. But the bear would be wrong. He reaches this incorrect conclusion because he's not a human being. Kreft let the illustration sink in for a minute. And he said, now, now, 
How can anyone be certain that that's not an analogy between us and God? I believe God does the same thing to us sometimes. And we can't comprehend why he does it any more than the bear can understand the motivation of the hunter. As the bear could have trusted the hunter, we should trust God. Okay, okay, I'll buy into that. I'll buy into Kreft's illustration to explain the loss of a job or pain in my back, but that's too much for me to jump to to really explain the catastrophes that happen in the innocent loss of people's lives. Well, let me walk through you with a few ways to explain this as to why God allows suffering. One is tough, and that is that God may be disciplining us. God may be disciplining us. Hebrews 12, 6 and 7 shares the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what child is not disciplined by their father? The author of Hebrews isn't saying that God causes all hardship and discipline, but that we as believers are supposed to view hardship and discipline and look at it in realms of the glory of God, saying, God, I honor you because of this. So be careful to label all discipline and bad things that happen in your life that God is letting that happen because of discipline. John 9, Luke 13, Jesus clearly warned that not all suffering is a result of someone's sin. Not all suffering. But we need to realize that pain and suffering is a teaching tool. There's discipline that comes with it. And the world wouldn't be all it's cracked up to be without pain existing in our lives. How many of you, Zach, if you can take these, go back and figure out how to take these babies down. It's about hurting me. Ah. How many of you have suffered pain and grown from it? That's 100%. 100%. Would we have been better off if that pain didn't exist? I don't think so. I don't think so. I think God allows that pain to enter into our lives to get us to the point where God wants us to be like those lights in my eyes. That is much better. Now, I can't see my notes, but that's no matter. <laughs> I love this old illustration, and I shared with you, with you like a few years back, but it's one of my favorite to explain this. Bob Benson shares it from his book, uh, See You at the House. He talks about a conversation he had with a friend of his named W.T., W.T. suffered in a heart attack a couple years before, and Benson hadn't seen him up to that time. So he comes in contact with him after the heart attack, and he says, W.T., he says, how'd you like your heart attack? W.C. said, how'd I like my heart attack? It scared me to death, almost killed me. 
I didn't like my heart attack. What do you mean, how did I like my heart attack? And he said, well, would you do it again? Of course not, I wouldn't do it again. Well, WT, would you recommend a heart attack for one of your friends? No way. Then Benson asked his friend, he said, well, does your life mean more to you than it did before? Well, yes. Are you and now, you've always had a beautiful marriage. Are you not closer than you've ever been before? Yeah, well, sure. How about your new granddaughter? He says, I hold her tighter than I ever had in my life. Do you have new compassion for people, a deeper understanding, deeper sympathy for other people? Yes, I sure do. Bob Benson paused for a moment. He said, WT, how'd you like your heart attack? And silence was his answer. Benson writes, now neither he nor I would tell you to rush right out and have a heart attack. But there's good that comes in the process. Sometimes good shines brighter than ever when contrasted with the darkness. And maybe for you it wasn't a heart attack. Maybe for you it's the pain of a miscarriage. Maybe for you, it's a comparison that your parents always made between you and an older sibling. Maybe it's for you, it's the time that you found yourself in complete loneliness, feeling like no one cared. Maybe it was the emotional stress of abuse that remained even after the wounds were gone. I don't know what it is for you, but I can tell you this, and I've experienced it in my life, that God can take us through the darkest of times, that God can use discipline, pain, and suffering, all for the purpose of turning our focus on him and not ourselves. Hebrews 12, 11 says, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. So God may be disciplining us. Second reason for suffering is God is using us to influence others. Through the pain that we suffer, our witness is increased and validated towards other people. Satan said about Job, well, of course he fears you. Of course he lives an upright life. Haven't you put a hedge of protection around him? God, you take that hedge of protection off of him and then see what happens. Well, God did. Job's life remained positive, his testimony powerful because of the life he lived. And inside, Job continued to say, I know that my Redeemer lives. I know that my Redeemer lives. Stephen Brown says, for every unbeliever who gets cancer, the Lord allows a believer to get cancer so the world can see the difference. Let me do that again. For every believer who gets cancer, the Lord's, for every unbeliever who gets cancer, the Lord allows a believer to get cancer 
so the world can see the difference. It may not be exactly how it happens, but I've seen it in process. I remember a time years ago, years ago, that I was called to go to the hospital, St. Elizabeth's Hospital in Youngstown. I could even take you to the floor that this happened because that's how etched it is in my mind. I was called to go to a hospital for a guy that was dying of cancer, and I was scared to death because they were about to tell him that his life was going to end. And he had It was like a matter of weeks, and he hadn't heard it yet. Family hadn't heard it. Only one person knew. They asked me to be there in the room when the message was shared. As I was literally shaking, I remember when I went into that room, because I knew, number one, he wasn't a believer. Number two, I think 75% of his family weren't believers. And I walked into that room, and the message was shared, and they wailed, and they screamed, and they cried, and it was total chaos. I prayed with them. I walked out of that room, and I started down. As soon as I walked out of that room, I could hear this. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found was blind, but now I see. Where's that coming from? I walked down the hall, and I looked into a room, and there was a family, about 10 of them, holding the hands of a parent, grandparent, all holding hands in a circle, singing and praising God as that person left this life to eternal life. How many people on that floor saw the difference? I did. I know the difference. But how many people were affected? I'm I'm talking, it's been probably 20 years ago. I remember it like it was yesterday. The impact that you can have to the people around you, when God allows you to go through suffering, it's more impactful, I believe, than anything else we can do in this life. It's huge. Well, another reason God allows suffering, I think, is God is maturing us. David Jeremiah writes, it seems to be the universal testimony of those who suffer. It's a clarifying experience. Pain is a type of preparation like no other, allowing the unimportant to fall away and the critical to rise to the top. Moses was prepared for 80 years, 40 years in Egypt, 40 years in the wilderness. 80 years God prepared him, matured him, before he called him into divine service. 
When he returned to Egypt to free the Hebrew slaves, he was focused, he was faithful, and he would not have been had he not gone through those 80 years before. Yes, there's a greater good that comes out of suffering. God in his infinite wisdom knows that suffering matures you and me. His spirit lives inside of every single one of us as believers. And when we suffer, his spirit is there to sustain us, grow us, and mature us. And for the next few minutes, I want you to think about suffering that God has taken you through, God is going to take you through, and lean on these words. It's one of the most powerful songs, and we've sung it many times, but one of the most powerful songs that we can reflect on. The words, so I put my faith in Jesus, my anchor to the ground, my hope and firm foundation, he'll never let me down. Great is your faithfulness to me. Say those words. Great is your faithfulness to me. Let's stand. Say them with me one more time. Let's stand. Say those with me. Great is your faithfulness to me. When we read Romans chapter 8, verse 28, as we did earlier, oftentimes what happens is people stop right there. And they don't read the next verse. Romans 8, 28 and 29. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son. Don't miss this. It's a natural progression. You and I go through seasons of suffering and pain. And through time, God continues to chisel and chisel and chisel away at us to make us look more like his son. That's the greater good. In other words, you begin to look like Jesus, the one who suffered and bled and died for you. And the more you suffer, the more you look like Jesus. And that's what it's all about. If our goal in our life is to grow in the likeness of Jesus Christ, to grow into his image, then it's suffering that becomes a part of the recipe to accomplish that. So rather than questioning God, we should look at God and thank Him for the greater good that's coming out of the pain that we're in. That's called maturing as a believer. Job, in the middle of his suffering, in the middle of all of his hurt, in Job 19, verses 25 through 27, He says this, I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end he will stand upon the earth. After my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes, I and not another. 
how my heart yearns within me. Job's ultimate confidence was in God's redemption. Not in this world, but in the world, in the life to come. He says, I know that my Redeemer lives. And one day, He's going to have the final word. One day, God will make all things right. That's God's plan for redemption. It's heaven. It's heaven. And when Jesus came as our great Redeemer... He came and shed His blood and gave up His life so that you and I would have the promise of eternity in heaven with Him. God's ultimate plan for you and I, it isn't necessarily a happily ever after life in this world. Sorry, but it's not. His ultimate plan comes on the other side, in heaven. Our redemption, our hope is in heaven. God one day will make all things right. God can and will redeem. He will take all the broken pieces of your life and my life and put them back together again. In a place called heaven. And so we yearn for that. We yearn for that. And if you've never come to understand and accept Jesus as the Lord and Savior of your life, you're in the room of the family I described where there'll be screams and crying and hurt. But if you want to be in the room where I walked down the hallway and heard amazing grace, how sweet the sound then you've got to put your trust and faith in the one who died in your place. If you already have, then remember, there's a greater good that comes out of suffering because the more we suffer, the more we look like Jesus. Father, we thank you so much. God, it seems hard to say, but we thank you for the pain that's in our life. We thank you for the suffering that's in our life. Because we realize, God, that life isn't all it's cracked up to be if pain and suffering don't exist. Because it was the result of the pain and suffering, especially as believers, you are making us look more and more like your son, Jesus. God, we thank you for that. And God, I pray for anyone in this room that hasn't come to that conclusion, especially if they haven't accepted you as the Lord of their life. And God, maybe today's the day that that happens. Help them to come up now or talk to me or anyone on a stage after the service. But God, we pray this in your son Jesus' name. And everyone said, let's stand together, guys. Let's sing.